church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you this week. Well, today I want to turn our conversation to the communion of saints. I want to share with you a story about a visitation of a saint just that I had just this last week. And so we're going to get into that and talk about what the church teaches and where we find our, our, uh, our tradition, what it says about communion of saints and what it means. And so we're going to share all of that here today on the show. But before we do that, we're going to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory and praise to you, Almighty God. We come before your heavenly throne, to the assembly of the firstborn. There in heaven, dear Father, we praise you, along with all those gathered, the angels, the saints, those praising you. We join them in prayer, and we thank you for the opportunity to have such the wonderful gift of communion, of family, in the one body of Jesus Christ. We pray, dear Father, that you will hear our prayers, the prayers of the saints offered to you in the incense by the angels. We pray for the conversion of sinners. We pray for the unity of believers here on earth. We pray for those struggling with addictions, whether in substance or in pornography or anything else that detracts us from seeking holiness and seeking your face. We pray for marriages and families, 
These are the bedrock of society. We ask, dear Father, that you strengthen them. And I pray for all who hear this show, that you will guide them on their path, their journey, that you will strengthen their resolve, that you will inspire them to seek after your Son, dear Father, with the gift and the love of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us through your sacraments. May you always strengthen and be with us. We seek that and we pray for the intercession of our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just this last week, I had an amazing encounter with a saint. Saint Bernadette Subaru, as a matter of fact. Now, this was a dream. Okay, so let's get that clear right off the bat. Nobody came down from heaven and revealed themselves to me in real life. But I had a dream. It was an amazing and it was a vivid dream, too. I've never dreamt of saints before. If you've dreamt of saints, well, send me an email. I would really love to hear about it. But I had never dreamt of a saint before. So this sort of uh, took me uh, back a little bit and I had to like process it. And I wrote about all of this on my website at www.catholichack.com. I entitled it The Night That St. Bernadette Came to Visit Me. But here's basically what happened. I found myself in a large room, a gathering room. It was an old room, like one you might find in an old uh, town hall building. Like, see, in New England, where I had lived for 10 years, they had these really old buildings, 100-plus-year-old buildings. And they had these large gathering rooms in the in the upper floors of them. Wood floors, wood stage, a little staging area about three feet off the ground, uh, wood walls, wood beams, everything was just old and wooden. And I was in a room just like that. And I pictured like uh, something going on stage, but I didn't quite see what was going on. So I don't really know, but there was something there going on. And there was a, a group of people gathered in the center of this room, sitting in these old wooden fold-up chairs, and in the midst of them was this support pillar holding the roof up. And the lighting was very uh, soft. It was warm, like a, like a glowing candle, a reddish-brown kind of a glow in the room. And, and it didn't... I didn't see, I didn't look out the window, so I didn't see if it was light or dark, but it just felt like it was cold and dark outside. And the inside of this room felt, you know, warm and cozy. That was sort of the environment. And so these people were gathered in the center of this large room, sort of watching what was going on on stage. And there, there was this one lady who caught my eye caught my interest, and I was in the back right-hand corner, sort of looking on this whole scene, kind of like if you've ever watched uh, A Christmas Carol, and Ebenezer Scrooge visits his past, Christmas past, and he's sort of on the outside looking in, that's kind of how it was for me. I was sort of on the outside looking upon this scene in sort of strange amusement, and there I see this woman you know, catching my eye, and I can't quite see who it is or, or make her out because that support pillar holding up the roof is sort of blocking my view. And so I start to move up. Now, along the right-hand wall where I was in this back corner, right-hand corner, was a couch, and my mother was sitting on that couch, which again was very strange. I'm not sure why she was there, but I'm sort of moving up, you know, by my mother and trying to peer around that pillar and, and catch an, a glimpse of this person who's caught my eye. 
And as I come around and I say, sort of, sort of see around that pillar, I, I see her. And I say, that's Bernadette Subaru. And I fall on my knees and I, I turn around to my mother and I'm like, I just saw Bernadette Subaru and I'm just gazing at her. I'm just staring at her and in and, and just this awe. And in her arms, she's holding the Christ child. She was wearing like a, a, a like an off-white color shawl, and her hair was sort of done up with either a white bun or a, a something white on her hair holding her hair up. And she's just holding this Christ child. And I recognized her face because several weeks before, I had been looking at pictures of her incorruptible body, and I recognized that face. It was Bernadette Subaru. And I've never had a, a particular uh, affection towards Bernadette, St. Bernadette. Uh, I had seen the movies, you know, the, this last couple of months and uh, and sort of had some interest in her. But beyond that, I, I've never asked really for her intercession. And so I'm just on them on my knees there and just staring at her and the Christ child and whatever was going on on stage ended and everybody got up and started to leave. Now, St. Bernadette gets up and she walks towards the stage and sort of exits the room through a door on the stage to the right on my side of the room that leads into a, a dark hallway with a soft glowing light on the other end of this long dark ha- hallway. And she stands in this hallway with her back towards the room. And no longer does she hold the Christ child. I, I don't even see him now at this point. But I, I'm just sort of looking at her as I see her back. And then she turns around and looks back into the room as if she was looking for someone. And then I run over. I, I don't even think about it. I just run over to her and I fall on my knees and I grab her by the hand. I clutch her hand and I start to cry. And I begged her, please ask Jesus to have mercy on me. Please ask Jesus to have mercy on me. And I remember hearing her soft voice. Now, I don't remember exactly what she said. I'm not even sure she spoke English. But I got the sense that she said, I will ask him. And then I woke up. And then I, you know, so I had to process this dream, you know. So I was thinking about this dream and, and it sort of came to me. The beauty and the glory of the gift that God has given us in communion of saints. The family that we have. That we have someone who will pray for us? Who wants to pray for us? You see, I have heard it said many times <laughs> recently, as a matter of fact, that when we die, we don't care anything about what goes on here on earth. No, no, no. We only care about God. We don't even know what goes on. How can you Catholics say there's a communion of saints when, you know, when you're dead, you can't hear any of the prayers? That's not possible. Is it? Well, I'm going to show you today that not only is it possible, but it is the will and desire of God for it to be so. That's what I want to turn our conversation to. This glorious doctrine we have, this gift in the family of believers of Christ Jesus, who is the one mediator between God and men. And so that's where we're going. Now, first thing I want to do is I want to show you how there is, in fact, a community, a communion of believers here on earth. And for that, let's turn to, and there's only a few examples that I'll have time to share with you, but I'm going to share this one. First Timothy chapter two, starting in verse one, quote, St. Paul says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for everyone 
for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Verse 3, This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There was also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. In this one passage, St. Paul really nails down some key concepts for us to understand. Number one, he asks that we pray for all, whether they're kings, whether they're believers or not believers, it doesn't matter. You, as a, a believer, are are commanded to pray and intercede for all here on earth. Whether they agree with you or not, whether they believe or not, doesn't matter. You are to just pray and intercede for them. Why? You are to do that because this is right and acceptable and pleasing to God our Savior. So how do we please God? By praying. That's one of the ways we please God, by praying for others. We intercede for them. But wait a minute. In the same passage, it says there that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. How can we be the mediators? How can we intercede when Jesus is the one mediator? Because Jesus allows us to participate in his vocation of intercession. Does that make sense? I am a father of four children. I don't need anything from my kids. I don't need them to wash the dishes. I don't need them to do anything in this house. I can take care of it all. But I allow my kids to participate in the chores of the family, in the life of the family. In the same way, Jesus allows us to intercede because we are a family, a family of believers. We are united through that one mediatorship of Christ Jesus. And so in his wisdom, he allows us to participate in at least some small way because that's what families do. Now, St. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, quote, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. We are citizens, he says, with the saints, members of the household of God. We are a family. And so that image of family must take preeminent role as we start to think and ponder what the communion of saints means. You are not an isolated, you're not an island of yourself. No, you are a member of the body of Christ. And as so, you live in community, even if you're separated by mileage. Like, for example, wherever you live and the Pope in Rome, yet you are still in community because you are in the body of Christ. And therefore, you pray in community, you intercede in community, you give in community, you suffer in community, and you love in community, and so much more. 
St. Paul makes it clear that it is Christ Jesus who binds us together. And through that binding of our Lord Jesus Christ, we then grow into the household, the temple of the living God. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, quote, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Skipping forward to verse 20. As it is, there are many members, yet one body. Again, I think it becomes very clear through St. Paul's writings and, and many others that we are of the family of God here on earth, a communion of believers, always praying and interceding for one another. Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42 and following, we see it very clearly that they lived in community there, those early, early days after Pentecost, that they gave of themselves, they gave of all their possessions into the community of believers here on earth. So yes, there is a community of believers, a communion, if you will, here on earth. So, is there a communion of believers, of saints there in heaven? Because you see, in order to enter into it, Revelation tells us that we must be purified. We can't be unclean and enter into the all-perfect, all-holy heaven, or God, rather, into that perfect beatific vision. We must be purged first, First Corinthians chapter 3. But we see a, 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 cl a little snippet into the life of the communion of saints there in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, starting in verse 3. It says, quote, Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. We see those angels standing before the very throne, the very face of God, the assembly, the ecclesia of the firstborn, there offering incense mixed with the prayers of the saints, a communion of saints there in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 22, it says, quote, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, uh, to and to be sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Ecclesia is the Greek word used to uh, for assembly there in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 12. That's also the word we get church from. So this is the church of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. We definitely see a communion of saints there in heaven. So what do we have? We have a communion of believers on earth, uh, or saints, if you really want to call them saints, go right ahead, but I will never claim the title saint until I am purified, Lord willing, and have entered into the beatific vision. So a communion of believers on earth, a communion of saints in heaven, 
How do we connect the two? How is it that I can ask St. Bernadette to beg Jesus to have mercy upon me, and she will hear my request and then also intercede for me, offer the prayers mixed with the incense, if you will, before the very face in the throne of God? Well, Jesus is, is of course, the answer. As we've already said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he is the one mediator between God and man. He joins heaven and earth. But for a better sense of this, to, to see this better and more clearly, let's turn to St. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Quote, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And when we are connected by abiding in him, we are connected to that vine. The blood that flows through that vine flows through each of the branches also. If we are believers and we abide in our Lord Jesus Christ here on earth, and when we die and we go to heaven, are we no longer connected to the vine? Of course we are. We are absolutely still branches upon the same vine. And if connected to the same vine, whether on earth or in heaven, it doesn't matter. We're connected to the same vine, the one mediator, Jesus Christ. The branches receive the blood of Jesus that, that courses through his veins, courses through this vine in all the branches. We are connected in communion. Heaven and earth meet through Jesus Christ, that one mediator. So when we communion with one another, we do so through Jesus Christ. It is not by our own doing that we do anything, because we can do nothing apart from him. But through him, we can do all things. And what does, what does God wish for us to do? He wishes for us to be a family. I've heard it said too many times, as I said before, that when we die, no, we won't care a thing about what goes on here on earth. We won't even know what goes on here on earth. That's not true. Because what happens is when we die, our desires, our wills go away. We at that point, when we are purified, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and enter into heaven, into that beatific vision, united with the all-perfect, all-holy God, the living God, we care not less. We care more. We care what God cares about it. And God is a God of justice and a God of love. Perfectly. And so we care about what God cares about. For example, in Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 9, going through verse 11, we see the souls of the just ones there underneath the, the, the altar. They were martyred for the faith, and they are crying out for God's justice to be realized on earth. 
Now, they must have known that justice hasn't yet been realized for them to continue to intercede and ask to beg God for His justice to be made manifest. Because God is a God of justice, it is right for us to want God's justice to be made manifest. Also, if we look at uh, the love of God, the salvation of souls, in Luke 16, starting in verse 19 through verses 31, our Lord gives us a very powerful parable. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. What happens? Lazarus is a beggar standing at the gate or the door of the rich man's house, begging for food, begging to eat the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And the rich man, who is consumed with self, never pays any attention to this beggar at his door. Well, Lazarus dies and goes to the bosom, to paradise, as they used to call it, to the bosom of Abraham to be comforted for all of his earthly sorrows and sufferings. He will now be comforted in the bosom of Abraham. Well, the rich man also dies. He doesn't go to the bosom of Abraham. No, he goes to the flame and suffers in torment there in Sheol. And across a wide uh, divide, a gap, he sees this rich man. He sees Lazarus there in the, the bosom of Abraham being comforted. And he begs Father Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and let it drip on my tongue that I might have relief. Oh no, you thought of only yourself in life, Father Abraham says. No, you thought of only yourself. You lavished, you received your reward. No, now Lazarus will be comforted and you will be purged. Now, what happens next? He asks Father Abraham, begs him, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to my brothers that they might be converted and they might not come here and endure what I am enduring. He cares about what God cares about. What does God care about? 1 Timothy chapter 2. We've already read it. God cares. What does he say? Quote, Who desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth? The rich man cares about the knowledge of truth. He cares about the salvation of his brothers. He desires for the salvation of souls. When we die, we don't care less. We care more. Now, we see in James chapter 5, starting in verse 16, that therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Who could be more righteous than the saints who've been purged, who have entered into the, the beatific vision, who are united to God? caring nothing more than what he cares about, the salvation of souls and justice on earth, justice in the kingdom. Asking these saints, these brothers and sisters who have gone before us, asking them to pray for us, this is found explicitly here. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And if we are united to that vine, and the vine is Jesus Christ, and we have communion with the branches in heaven, then why not ask them? Because this is pleasing to God. First Timothy chapter 2. It is pleasing and right, and it pleases God our Savior for us to be in communion, asking and praying for one another. So you have been asked to pray for me. I pray for you. Now ask your brothers and sisters in heaven, for God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living, Mark 12, 27. 
and in our death it is not our will, but it is God's will that is made manifest. Now we see the united front, the church triumphant in heaven, working in perfect unison with the church militant here on earth. We see this stated here in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we must persevere, united as the community, the body of Jesus Christ, heaven and earth, touched down together, one through that one mediatorship of the man, Christ Jesus. What more beautiful sentiment can God give us than brothers and sisters, the family, the community of believers? See, relationship is so crucial in understanding our faith. And that family is the bedrock of all society, whether it's here or whether it's in heaven. God gave us the gift of family so that he might see us through to the end. That's going to do it for another show of Behold the Man. Stop by the website, www.catholichack.com. That's all one word, catholichack.com. The song opening us up in the show today was Our God is Here from the album Innocence by Chris Muglia. Stop by the website for more information. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. May God richly bless you. God bless. From the Catholic Underground.